It's coming. There's no escape. On Halloween, the veil between this world and the next will lift. And then, all hell breaks loose. Welcome to Against All Oddities, the podcast about three brothers coming to terms with the oddly true and the truthfully odd. Well, it's that spooky time of year again, and although we here at Against All Oddities celebrate Halloween all year long, we appreciate the importance this season may have for all of you muggles out there who only dress up as wizards and ghouls once a year. This year, we aim to honor and celebrate Samhain by telling some spooky stories and by dropping some death bombs. More on that later. So stick around while we talk about black-eyed children's haunted Richmond, death by turnip, and so much more. When you are ready, simply lift the veil, pass the guardian at the threshold, and follow us a little further down the rabbit hole. This is Against All Oddity. Spooky stories for Halloween. So I was thinking, how do we do this? Yeah, so I think we could just tell some stories. I got a bunch of like silly deaths. So as if you guys have solid stories, I'm gonna start dropping some death bombs. Death bombs. <laughs> I, need, I need like <laughs> a good name. I get mean, okay, death death bombs. That's pretty good. <laughs> death bombs. Number one. Chris can relate because he just took 33% responsibility for hosting a block party in the middle of Manhattan. So in um, the 24th of April, 1671, Vettel, the majordomo of Prince Louis II de Bourbon Conde. <laughs> I see you know this. I, I know you, this subject is really, you, it's near and dear to your heart. I it is. Tell. Like you have these All right, so anyway, this guy names memorized. He was responsible for a banquet for 2,000 people hosted in honor of King Louis Fourteenth at the, the Chateau best of the Louis. Right? De Chantilly, where he died. According to a letter by Madame de Savine, Vettel was so distraught about the lateness of the seafood delivery and about other mishaps that he killed himself with his sword and his body was discovered when someone came to tell him of the arrival of the fish. The seafood. <laughs> well, he was just flipping out like i can't take it Where's the fish? i'm stressing I'm, out i'm stressing I'm, out I'm imagine you know what i'm what, what he Go would get myself he would he would have so much trouble nowadays with all the supply chain interruptions and stuff right like yeah if he thought it was bad back then I also think it'd be really funny. It might funny. have been worse back then. Like, My got... horse died of plague. <laughs> yeah. no, what if somebody murdered him and like the fish delivery guy walked in and he was like, he's dead because of you. You killed him because you're late. And the fish girl's like, oh, he stabbed himself in the face with his own sword. He right? really wanted those, those oysters. He wasn't murdered. You did this. Death bomb. January 15th, 1919, something called the Great Molasses Flood 
Oh, I know this yeah. one. 21 yeah, people were killed and 150 were injured in the Great Molasses Flood when a huge tank of molasses burst in Boston's North End. Chris is probably familiar. With I that. live there and still to this day on the very, very hot days, you can kind of smell molasses. Also, they refer to it as the Molassacre. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a terrible way to go. That's like the Molassacre is so much better. <laughs> the Molassacre. The Molassacre. <laughs> Yeah, it was. There's it probably was, a good illustration. On that. There, there are. There's a few of them. I mean, I think there's like one. There might even be like half a photo, like a grainy one of the aftermath. Death bomb. Death bomb. Uh, June twenty fourth, nineteen twenty three. Frank Hayes, a twenty two year old jockey of Elmont, New York, died of a heart attack mid race and collapsed on the horse. Nonetheless crossed the finish line first still carrying the body oh. so a, a dead jockey mm. won the race that's awesome that's um, how you want to go if you're a jockey that's like I, best case scenario with all these deaths i think about like beetlejuice and like the waiting room of the afterlife you're always, <laughs> oh, right. in your jockey outfit yeah <laughs> he would be in the go with them well no just... but he would be in the jockey outfit you know yeah uh, and then the the show, which is a BBC show, which is on HBO, Ghosts, which I've been trying to get you guys to watch, also hilarious. And everyone, you you remain a ghost as you die. So if you get your head chops off, you're walking around with your head yeah. sometimes. Or, you know, like, if you're burned, you're all charred up. Kind of like Beetlejuice concept. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But it, uh, and it, it appears like, because ghosts stick around, yeah. when something traumatic happens which sure. makes sense but it, you don't see a lot of old ghosts of like the little old lady in the rocking chair sometimes maybe but because they die peacefully and had a long life maybe they they, they go off into the neck cross or, or the yeah, other done. or the other idea of like ghosts being fractured so it's not even like a whole person but like just an aspect of them that like saw some heinous shit <laughs> or like part of them didn't do so well that part stayed so even it's not necessarily that the uh farmer with a pitchfork <laughs> through their torso is haunting forever for, and ever in that form but that part of them that like fractured piece of them is there forever and makes and, sense yeah why not uh, let's go into some stories let's go into some stories who's okay so a little history lesson because all of this is true. That's what's spooky is. All I'm doing is giving you guys a, a history of uh, a series of events, and they're pretty nightmarish. Um, so I was unfamiliar with this, but in 1975, the Khmer Rouge, Khmer Rouge, Khmer Rouge, and without getting too much into the uh, the, the deep dive into the political history, it was founded on the principles of Mao Zedong thought and. Um, Pol Plot actually met with Mao for advice on how to achieve like their goals or whatever. And this included putting Cambodians into forced labor camps as well as uh, committing mass executions on like grand scale. Uh, a lot of people died of exposure and starvation. Um, so between 1.5 and 2 million Cambodians of the 7 million population were killed in 1979. They were indoctrinating the children to commit a lot of the executions and the atrocities uh, to teach them to obey without hesitation. 
and they didn't have ammunition or bullets or anything so they give them like a pickaxe and then just point at somebody and be like you need to execute them and bam just with i mean that's how they were taught no hesitation mm -hmm. just do it um so the vietnamese invasion of cambodia defeated the khmer rouge in january of 1979 and as recently as 2014 the Khmer Rouge Tribunal has been convicting people of crimes against humanity for participating in all of that. So I'm going somewhere with this. Mm -hmm. uh, during these times, there is a humanitarian crisis due to the displacement of the Cambodian refugees. And what's horrible is the uh, the trauma they escaped from. They just had all this untreated PTSD. I don't even know if they knew to look for PTSD or had it well-defined uh, or even you know, there was, they weren't giving therapy to these people. There was one child who was terrified to sleep because he was afraid if he uh, went to sleep, he'd be attacked in his dreams. Yeah, uh, and Freddy never wake up. Style. So yeah, he eventually fell asleep and his parents heard screaming. And when they got to him, he had died. He died in the middle of a nightmare. There were other reports of th Southeast Asian refugees in America, uh, usually men in their 20s to 30s that would die in their sleep without any obvious cause. So in 1984, the mysterious nightmare deaths inspired a young man named, Chris already guessed it, Wes Craven, who mm -hmm. started the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Ah, oh, so um, it's like the original. This is—I didn't know that was connected to the Cambodian massacres. Uh, but time-wise, it kind of makes sense if that's yeah. early, early '80s. And then... Yeah, because there's that movie, The Killing Fields, that came out in 1984 about the Cambodian massacre. Yeah, Wes Craven's first uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street came out in '84. So I have a—I uh, have a theory about this, which is still fucking terrible. But I have a, a separate theory that's not like nightmare deaths. And this is this is a stupid name, but it's a real thing. It's called Give Up Itis, and it was first reported in World War II after a cargo ship sunk in the North Sea, and there's a life raft with seven people, and for they were uh, drifting at sea for two weeks, and right before they uh, were rescued, one of the guys just died, just leaned it, and they couldn't find any reasons. And medical officers in Korea, Vietnam, were like, "Oh yeah, this actually happens." we've seen it a lot of lucid soldiers this thing, they're not delirious they're not hallucinating yeah. they're not manic and running around and being crazy and if you tell them to do something they do it um there's there's no delusion um they just lay down and they die they're i mean they're done they're just they completely gave up on life to the point that their body gives up too and they named it give up itis uh but more recently people are referring to it as a psychogenic death um, I think that maybe maybe that could have been related to the same type of PTSD from the uh, the Cambodian uh, massacres that they had escaped from. Yeah. Well, also, like, you, you hear people, like, um, you've been married for, like, 70 years, and one of the spouse dies, and then, you know, three days later, the other person dies of a broken heart. Died from a broken heart! So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Same, I can see it being similar, you know? Uh, there's there's something called broken heart syndrome. This was the, uh, here's unscripted. I see it at work a lot. It has many names. It's called broken heart syndrome, stress induced cardiomyopathy, or uh, Takatsubo, and it's called Takatsubo, which is Japanese for octopus trap because the guy that first discovered it was uh, Japanese. And the left ventricle, the middle part squeezes down like a narrow. I can't do it on the camera. Narrow tube. 
and the end of the left ventricle balloons out. It's also called apical ballooning syndrome. And it usually happens in th after extreme stress. Uh, they used to think like after your whole family dies in a car wreck or an airplane crash mm -hmm. and you're the only survivor. And then that it's, I mean, you, your heart recovers from it after like a few weeks to a few months. Um, like it kill you. But it can kill you. It can put you in a cardiogenic shock and that you present as a heart attack and your, your troponin goes up. It acts like a heart attack. Then they, there's nothing wrong with your arteries. So they do an echo and they're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Um, so yeah, that, that happens too. Hmm. What's the uh, genetic reason for that happening? Like, what's it, the survival? It's a, a catecholamine surge. It's not related to genetics, but some people, I guess, are more predisposed to it. Maybe it is related to genetics a little bit. It's it's it can just it can really not genetics, to, rather like what's the survival? The purpose? the physiology behind it. Oh, most people survive. Yeah. The, the, mm. Like they come in, they think they have a heart attack. When we told them, I've seen people. I have to be really ambiguous about it, but yeah. This happened to them over a football game. Yeah, like, sure. So it's their team was losing, and then they came back and and won, and then they like were losing again, and they came back again. And so I guess it was a stressful enough game that they came in with a heart attack, and then we're like, oh, actually, it's not. It's uh, it's a stress-induced cardiomyopathy, <laughs> oh, <that's> broken hearts. <laughs> Well, that's a pretty good spooky story. The the original basis of Freddy Krueger, which is very scary. But it is kind of true that like scary stuff has to be kind of believable. Otherwise, it's not really scary. Like, I it has feel, to. I mean, right, yeah, it's super sad. There's a kid that was afraid to go to sleep because he was afraid that, that he was going to be executed. And then he finally fell asleep and didn't wake up. So like that it's was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it's kind of a sad, sad matrix stuff. Related to that, Death Bomb. Death Bomb. In 1924, Thornton Jones, a lawyer in Bangor, Gwynedd, Wales, woke up to find he had his throat slit. Not bad enough to die immediately, but he got a piece of paper and he wrote down, I dreamt that I had done it. I awoke to find it true, and he died an hour later. <laughs> He slit what? his own throat when he was asleep. He uh, slit his own dream. Oh, that's terrible. As a sleepwalker, I don't like those stories. <laughs> yeah, that's a particularly <laughs> scary ghost story. For, for yeah, just hide your throwing axes when yeah. you're sleeping. Hide your swords in your bedroom. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll. you'll... Uh, I don't. There's no. I don't keep weapons around the sleeping areas. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, uh, well, I'm going to do, why don't I do a funny one? Yeah, um, do a funny one. Yeah. And I'll, and the reason I'll do a funny one, because it kind of goes into like the lucid sleepwalking part of it. I'm going to do the Kelly Hopkins story. So, hot August night. August 21st, 1955. There's this huge family that lives in Hopkinsville. And uh, in the Where's mountains. Where's Hopkinsville? Hopkinsville is in Kentucky. Oh, of course. And uh, the family members there, there's several of them. Uh, the, there's like uh, the matriarch, uh, Glennie Langford. She has two older sons and they have wives. Uh, there was a brother-in-law there and uh, the widow's three younger children, which were like 12, 10 and seven. So there's like this, and there was also a couple visiting from Pennsylvania that, that were down there and um, 
some of them or all of them i think worked as carnies right which is like doesn't really help the credibility being a carny <laughs> in the, the i don't know it helps it in some ways it hurts it in some ways <laughs> like i believe carnies are a couple in, in a couple situations and i feel like this might be one of the ones i believe a carny right at one point one of the, one of them which I, I think is um uh billy ray taylor uh was the family member uh early in the evening saw a silver saucer fly across and there are illustrations of this this was on every paper in the world in 1955. Mm. he saw a, a a silver craft go over the mountains or hollow or the house or whatever holler holler <laughs> and it had rainbows coming out as exhaust and it it just went across and he thought that was crazy right and then that was it and then the crazy thing you can kind of see in the illustration in my background if not this is easy to look up there's a million pictures and illustrations and stuff um later the dogs are making a ruckus outside and they were urged uh to go out and look or you know one of them went out and as the local sheriff said, these people aren't the people to come to the police station. These are the people to shoot first and ask questions later. And <laughs> <laughs> so they go outside and lo and behold, there's a silvery short creature. It's got Ooh. big floppy ears, two small antenna. Its arms are long <laughs> and drag on the ground with these claws or almost reach the ground with the claws. Couldn't really see the feet. And they were shiny and silver in color. So what do they do? Bang! <laughs> bang, bang, bang. They started shooting at it immediately. And, um, but the funny thing that happens is they just kind of like somersault over. When they hit, uh, there's varying accounts of how many there are. But when they shoot this this thing, it makes like a ding! Or like that sound, <laughs> target sound. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Target. And then it just tumbles backwards and then stands up and runs off in the woods. And then later another one would come over and they'd shoot at it and it would flip head over heels and then they would, it would run off again. And so this kept up for a while and it, it, it scared the crap out of them. And eventually yeah. they all piled in the car and I'm guessing it's like um, Beverly Hillbilly. That's style. what I was going to say, Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, they go down to the sheriff and they're like, blah, 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 blah. and these people, whatever happens, these are the people who do not go to the police right mm -hmm. like it would be the like the whites of west virginia are not going to roll up on a sunday night to the police station yeah. you know freaking out so the sheriff took him serious they called in the state police and they they called in the uh uh army national guard or there's a base around there yeah like some or, kind of reserve like a captain or somebody so, so somebody some officer said okay it's it's an mp's over or something to check it out and they're like well sure enough we don't see any aliens or monsters or they weren't really monsters yet, but they didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't see anything. They could tell there were a lot of shots fired, but that was about it. They were like, mm -hmm. all right, guys, best of luck. You guys are crazy. You know, lay off the moonshine. And they, they left. And then as soon as they leave around 2 a.m., sure enough, guess who's back? <laughs> <laughs> it's the aliens, but this time they're coming up to the house. And so they're yeah. like in the hallway. They have a 20, 20 gauge shotgun and a 22 rifle and they're shooting them at the door <laughs> somersault away and then another one another um monster comes to the door and he and, and it's described as a 
a five gallon shiny gas can with a head and feet. Like R2 D2? Yes, which they shot, of course. And then I think there's another one floated by the window that night. It was glowing, and shiny and glowing, and uh, the matriarch, uh, what was her name? Uh, she she saw it, uh, Gl uh, Glenny saw it in the her bedroom window with his claws scraping at the window. And what happened later in the, the next day, like the papers got wind of this, and then by dawn, the monsters were gone because they fought them off. And um, the local reporters came in, and then the start, story kept coming, going out farther and farther and farther. And then all these people started showing up at the house, like, let me in, let me in. And they're like, F off. You know, they don't want anybody on their property. They're kind of like, <sighs> I don't know, prepper type people mm -hmm. before there was ever a prepper. They like, go away. But eventually they're like, fine, you can come in for a dollar or something. Or they'll, <laughs> if you tell us the story, we'll tell you the story for a dollar. And then once they, and, and for 10 bucks, you can take some pictures. And that's where like, you can see mm. the photo. But the uh, the problem is that immediately discredited them. That said, oh, you know, yeah. they were just in it for the money and no other reason, mm -hmm. uh, which <clears throat> I don't think was necessarily true. These people, we're, we're from the mountains. We know that, or at least back in the day, especially in the 50s, no one wanted the attention of the media whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, on top of that, later, there was a Project Blue Book investigation and that's published and uh basically said i they, they didn't think anybody was lying and what happened later is as the stories changed and spread and uh you see all the illustrations and the drawings mm -hmm. pop out that the monsters that showed up or critters changed and morphed into like little green men and then that's <laughs> where the little green men actually come from was the Hopkinsville monster or whatever. Uh, and later, that was the basis, loosely based movie Critters on that. So, oh, yes. I loved Critters. Yeah. So there we go. That, that kind of reminds me of the, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's something that one needs to watch, but the uh, Hellier uh, paranormal documentary that was on, like, um, I guess it was on. Amazon, maybe it was. It on spooked me out, but the beginning it of it, stopped. it got it, they got a little. I only too... watched a couple episodes. The concept is frightening, and you have all those cave systems. Oh, yeah, so creepy. So and creepy. it's also that's also Kentucky, and that's and they called those hobgoblins at the time. But the drawings look like the drawings from your case, where you know, and that's the the. I mean, the documentary is what it is. I think it gets a little ridiculous but the beginning it all starts with this person that kind of contacts these um people and left this long voicemail about little things coming out of the woods and like trying to get into their house and like they would get more and more bold and then they eventually were inside the house and then they like lost contact with the document so the documentary filmmakers go to this town called hellier kentucky to try to find this house where what they thought were aliens and then the aliens turn into maybe like like other type of paranormal stuff like like elves or fairies yeah, you know like cave it, people. It, yeah yeah or cave people because there's a complex cave system but but they the the beginning it sounded really a lot like that but also just ter terrifying um 
yeah but hobgoblins don't sound very scary on on paper but when you hear about them <laughs> they're, a little, they're a little scary yeah well i mean the uh, another thing the and this could be uh, i didn't really dive too deep into the explanations but one of the things that they think it could be is and this is where in close encounters of the fourth kind and stuff come out later yeah. are um owls like a baby oh, that's owl. so creepy looking uh, a baby owl is yeah actually... but you can't shoot a baby owl and have it come back yeah but if there's yeah. other baby owls they come back and... <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know you know um that's a good story i like i like a hobgoblin because they are both scary and um you know funny <laughs> I, th I think the ufo part of it though i think the story would have been better without the ufo at the beginning True. he saw a shiny thing with rainbow exhaust if he had never said that i think the story would have had it, it either would have been lost in obscurity or it would just be like uh in the 50s there's such a ufo hype that you know they might not have picked it up if they're uh, like woods woods monsters wouldn't have become a sensation yeah. yeah but i mean i like i've been through rural kentucky and and i sometimes live in a rural state like maine and it is and this is 2021 and it's it's real scary out there like when you're really removed imagine 1948 kentucky oh yeah like, there's nothing <laughs> those woods are terrifying so you say like woods hobgoblin like hobgoblin is a lot <laughs> like you're like, uh, <laughs> like oh, well, shit. there hobgoblin I, I can only and i just had this one shotgun i've got four shells because that's all i can afford it's 1940 <laughs> oh my god hobgoblin no, well, in uh, Bluefield, Virginia, there was the guy was telling me about Pink Man. And he saw Pink Man on 460, ran right across the road, big black eyes, pink <laughs> like a Barbie doll skin. And he hid behind that tree and picked out at me. I was like, oh my God, I'm not sleeping. Like, Death Bomb. Death Bomb. Death Bomb. 1948, January 7th. Thomas Mantle. The pilot of a P-51 Mustang fighter plane crashed while in pursuit of an unidentified flying object. What? Say that again. Thomas Mantle, the pilot of a P-51 Mustang fighter plane crashed while in pursuit of an unidentified flying object, a UAP, near the town of Franklin, Kentucky, thus becoming the first person known to have died as a result of a UFO sighting. Officially, what year was the, that? 1948. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. The object remains unidentified, though. The most likely explanation from the U.S. Navy was that it was a skyhook balloon. If by my life or death I can protect you, I will. You can have my sword. And you have my bow. And my axe. And my paranormal insurance from Dorfu.com. For just a few bucks, I can protect us from all kinds of stuff, from the likes of ghosts and haints and spooks and who knows what lies up ahead just go to dwarfview.com and get you some then i remembered my charlemagne let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky and paranormal insurance from dwarfview.com great uh i was thinking for spooky stories i i have a couple i have a tendency to live in really haunted places but i i could See you're gonna do one. a true Chris story. 
true Chris story because I figured you guys would yeah. be, pull some good historical stories. I could pull up a contemporary. Tim, do you think the one about the house I live in was scary? Scary, or I could do something else? Was that? Yeah, a- it gave uh, it gave Mike Mayone from Microcast goosebumps. Oh, oh, so okay, good. He was like, I don't get creeped out that much, but I'm telling you, I got goosebumps just now. Like it legit. Yeah, so, so we live. I lived in a. I moved into this house with like four other people. It was in Richmond, Virginia. This was around two thousand and four, five, uh, four maybe. And uh, I was, yeah, I moved in this house. It was only a temporary thing, but with a bunch of friends. But it was known to be haunted. And this was this is in Oregon Hill in Richmond, Virginia, Laurel Street. I believe the house still stands. It's a an old working class town. Uh, part of Richmond that uh, I would say all the houses in this area are 100 years old. Um, They're older than that, probably. Older than that, yeah. Like, kind of, you know, the Richmond burned in the Civil War, so it was kind of post-Civil War, um, but maybe prior to the 20th century. So, like, late 1800s, it could be early 1900s. Um, but it's true, it's 220... I mean, 100 years ago, it was 1921, and these houses were definitely maybe older than that. Regardless, they're kind of older houses. They have a lot of life to them. But this one, um, if we ever sat on the porch, anyone walking by was like, that's the haunted house. And it was a horribly spooky house. It was like a two floor kind of railroad type situation, very of an era of the South, you know, um, very tall ceilings because there's no air conditioning or anything. But uh, it's a very specific type of house and we and people would walk by like that's the haunted house there is four houses down and our cousin mike travis could uh could verify this but there is a bunch of um let's say houseless people who live there they squatted there in their 50s and they did lots of drugs and um occasionally they would walk by and be like that house is haunted i wouldn't sleep there and they you know <laughs> our cousin mike travis though, like... uh definitely went over there at a party once so anyway very haunted house it's spooky like at night there's this basement to the house and the light for the basement couldn't turn off it was always on uh the basement was just where a washer or dryer were but it shone through the floorboards so if you walk to the bathroom at night it'd be like a horror movie where all the lights cast up through the floorboards onto the ceiling i mean it's a spooky looking house but anyway, super haunted. I lived in the basement, the, the bottom floor, which was called the safe room because it was the only room where no real activity happened. Uh, whenever someone stayed at our house, we purposely never told them that they were ghosts just to try to verify whether or not they were ghosts. <laughs> it was the only blind test we could do because we all knew it was haunted. But the, when we moved in, the, the, our, the roommate number one Cole Hutchison, um, he got the small room and the small room is upstairs and you had to walk through someone else's bedroom to get to the small room. And when we moved in, <laughs> there were, it was a house that's completely empty except for the small room. The small room had, I don't know, a hundred crucifixes, floor to ceiling, floor to ceiling. Yep, everywhere that's a good in sign. There. Good sign. Bad yeah. sign, warning sign number one. Leave them uh, there. Uh, or maybe choose a different shambly house to live in. Um, so that was the worst room in the house as we later learned. Uh, uh, so the, the, 
the story I immediately come to think, well, so for my main experience of living there, every single night after midnight before the same sun came up, so somewhere, somewhere between 1 a.m. and like 5 a.m., every single night, every single person in the house heard someone run down the stairs, do, 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 down the hallway, like straight down the hallway past my room, and then the door slammed. Now this is complicated because there's no handle on this door because it's like a shack. This is a crappy, crappy house. There is no door handle. There's a deadbolt. That's the only way you can lock it. If you want to open the door, you got to unlock it and kind of grip the deadbolt and pull it. So, Great. and this is just one of those things. It happened every night. It wasn't like, did you hear that last night? It's like, yeah, I hear it every night. It's like down the stairs, down the hallway, slam. And my bed was kind of, and by bed, I had an air mattress shoved against the windows. That was before or after the warehouse? This is before the warehouse. What? You went from that to the warehouse? We need to clarify that Chris lived in a warehouse for a while. Also haunted, but like I totally got along with the ghosts in the warehouse. That was like, well, you also had rats to contend with. Like ghosts don't nibble on you. I mean, this is, this is a bit of a divergence, but when I was living in the warehouse, it was so kind of scary to go to bed. I lived there for two years. I squatted in back there, but I'd wait until I could not stay up anymore. And then I kind of like, and this is kind of before my interest in the occult. So I, I feel like I would handle it better now, but I would, I would, I had this bed in a loft in the back and I had a 10 foot string connected to the bare light bulb that lit the back <laughs> and, <laughs> and i'd wait till like four in the morning i was like i'm too tired and i would wait i'd hold the string walk up the stairs and then right when i'd lie down i would just like pull it and it'd go dark and it but i was that was nothing compared to this house uh but um so anyway that's what my main experience the other thing that happened to me every night was something came in through the ceiling and looked at now this is really confusing because I didn't see anything. So how do you know? It's like, you just know, you're dead asleep. You're like dead tired, you're so sleepy. And all of a sudden you wake up like something's, something's looking at me on the ceiling. And you, you can't see anything, but then after a while it'll be like, it just left. Like I, I just, I know it's not here anymore, but that's the safe room. So let's talk about the not safe room. Which is <laughs> that's, that's the one everybody should be. Hey Chris, do you think, knowing what you know now, do you think somebody like protected that room? like put barriers up no i don't i think it was i think it just happened to be like not of interest to the person like maybe that was just like so we you know well i'll get to what we there's like different theories about what was going on in there but um maybe that was a room that this kid because we think it's the ghost of this kid like could go into maybe growing up i don't know no one came in the ghost there was like a peep in kind of thing and i could hear something running down the hall but i never um saw anything in the room um, but in Cole's room, the bad room, the crucifix room, which we moved in and we're all punk kids. So of course we got rid of all the crucifixes, number one, which you do because we're cool. Um, was Cole on a regular basis, uh, would wake up and this, he has no history of sleep paralysis. He'd wake up completely paralyzed and weird things would be happening in his room. Uh, his TV would turn on a lot. Uh, the light bulb, the again, bare light bulb in the ceiling would turn on and off a lot. Uh, and also at one time, um, 
So the, the Cole's room, Cole had a, a girlfriend at the time and was often not sleeping in the room he rented because it was terrifying there. Uh, so if someone was visiting him, we always put them in Cole's room. And even and they always, whenever someone stayed in Cole's room, I would wake up in the morning and they'd be sleeping on the couch. And then be like, what the hell is wrong with that room? <laughs> and this one time, this guy who was visiting from Florida with his girlfriend, were both sleeping in Cole's bed. And I saw them in the morning, they were both sleeping on the couch. And then I was like, well, what happened to you guys? And they're like, we both woke up at the same time and neither of us can move. And uh... we started seeing lights flashing all over the ceiling, like a car driving by, but there's no windows in this. <laughs> well, there's one window room but it's two feet from a brick wall like it opens into a brick wall there's no there's no lights so they were watching like light shimmer all around the ceiling and they couldn't move and then the tv turned on and it was just static which kind of confused them too and then um what happened i think one of them kind of like was forcing themselves to move and got up and turned the light on and all the lights exploded what <laughs> and they just ran out of the room and slept downstairs um Another time, Cole, no, so John, John Martin, who had the room that you had to walk through to get to Cole's, the bedroom, uh, was asleep in the afternoon. And what a common occurrence in his room, not the bedroom, but not the safe room, was he would also wake up with sleep paralysis, but also he would see, he had a little iMac kind of, I guess that back in those days, it was like an eMac. And he, I, it would just turn on and his iTunes would just go nuts. It would just start scrawling all over the place. And one day he woke up and that was happening. And he looked up and there was a small African-American child, about 12 years old, standing at the foot of his room, his bed, kind of at the room. And it was wearing kind of like a newsy cap, like it wasn't contemporary dress. And then he couldn't move, he couldn't say anything. Uh, to, uh, and the the boy walks into the bathroom, and then John was able to yell help. And then in Cole's voice, it Cole uh, said, "No one's going to help you, or no one can help you, or something to that extent." From the room, in which case, and he's talking now, so he's regaining the ability to move, and he runs out. And Cole had been gone that whole week, so Cole was not home at the time. Uh, but, uh, and then I don't think John slept there for a while. I used to sleep on Tim's living room floor sometimes. I'd be like, it's too far to go home. But, uh, it was just cause I didn't really want to go, <laughs> go back there. Uh, yeah. Another, <laughs> another diversion is I had no idea that Chris would do that for three months. Yeah. So like I just sleep on his sleep. floor and then like leave but he had a key so you just like every now and then i remember chris would show up and i'd be like oh hey what's up i thought so you were just hanging your, out uh sketchy apartment Tim, no, no 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 this on, was on this boulevard was with dan, this is like, he was living with dan i uh, uh i even was one. sort of dating a girl at the time and she would sometimes sleep on the floor with me <laughs> at Tim's house. uh like i had no, I had no idea no idea yeah. i had like school and a job and stuff i guess but i thought i, I mean, was home I mean, you were, sometimes I'd just be like, oh, I don't want to go back to that house. But uh, but so we were talking to some of the um, homeless people or houseless people uh, one day, and they said that they knew the kid that got murdered in there and that he had, um, it was in the 70s, and he had uh, like a learning disability. And this other kid, it was kind of like an abandoned squalor house. And this other kid 
stabbed him for five dollars inside one of the rooms oh. upstairs oh. now i don't know I mean, these guys are the same guys that got in an argument with mike travis about how many well, electrons or in a, a hydrogen atom or something it had to do with a chair that one of the guys built yeah he built a chair to rep, rep like mimic a hydrogen like atom or, or some kind of element it's supposed to it, look like uh, yeah. a molecular structure or something and then mike went in and was like that's all wrong <laughs> and then the guy yeah, got really like a, he has a biology degree or something but he yeah. said the guy started looking at him real weird like he went from weird to like maliciously weird he's like i have to go and then just hoofed it like he sprinted back to like, <laughs> the we party were. at this scary house that we live in is that uh, the one or was it a later one that had the tombstones in the backyard it wasn't that one that was the other one yeah um i mean richmond's got some ghosts that's for sure I, um, you know what that your that house reminded me of dad's story of when him and mom were looking at houses in the fan um, oh yeah this is in the early 70s and before richmond was quote unquote cleaned up right Mm-hmm. you know the, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't as nice as it was when we were there but uh he, he was a uh, dad said they were looking at a house uh like on who knows robinson or some street somewhere in the in fan. the fan yeah yeah and uh the guy was showing him around that owned it and was like oh look uh here's this here's the kitchen and here's this bedroom and here's the room i keep all my barbie heads in and it was like <laughs> a room painted completely black with shelves on it with like full of barbie heads <laughs> like like lining hundreds of them and dad was like oh yeah cool that's really cool Ooh, I love like, barbie yeah, heads. Yeah. he's like yeah 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 cool <laughs> like slowly getting out yeah i'll let you know that's great i got a couple more houses to see and then like run down the street away from them. yeah that's but um... and here's a question chris like is it do you think it was like like a spirit was it a poltergeist was it the essence of that room like just mm-hmm. the bad things mm-hmm. happening forever okay and- i think there was more going on than the than like an echo or like just kind of an atmospheric thing because of the running down the stairs there is that i mean that does actually sound like a like kind of like a memory that's the like, thing though like of the, the thing happening maybe that that stairs. like the running down the stairs was an echo but like the thing coming through the ceiling felt like something kind of sentient a, a right? conscious a conscious yeah and i feel like that might have been something like um, the kid never left like he was still hanging around yeah maybe i mean i'm not sure there were, I, there might be a couple things going on but like like or maybe the other kid who like murdered him like is partly stuck mm. there too i mean that well, kind of happens moment, sometimes moment and i can't remember what i was listening to this on but moments of extreme emotion like get trapped in time yeah or whatever like one was uh that was a, i was thinking of the story of like this woman who heard her nephew or something was hurt or killed or in a war and ran down the stairs real fast and answered the door but that kept looping and mm-hmm. everybody that stays in this house in Europe just constantly hears this do 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 because it was whatever happened it was such an emotional impact it's like it's like plays in eternity and maybe mm-hmm. it's faded faded by now. Did you and see I, the time loop movie? 
Oh, the hipster one? Yeah, where the hippie commune were brewing and stuff, and some people had a big loop and some people had a little loop. Oh. It was only like seconds. That was terrifying. Well, not terrifying, but it was like crappy or be somebody from the 1800s that's like trapped in like a 10 second loop. That'd be. Yeah. Terrifying. You know, the only evil present or like hatred I felt at our house that we're in now. Mm-hmm. is when I practice the um, penny whistle, which I have right here. <laughs> I won't do it too much because I'm alone in the edition. And uh, I felt, all I felt was like a dark shadow come over me and a feeling of utter hatred. And well, while you again, were the penny again explain, while I was practicing it. Explain to our listeners who might have missed other things, where do you live? It's an <laughs> old house. It's an old How house. Old. How old? It, couple hundred years old. <laughs> I live in old. an old house. It was 1947. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah but, my house is old. It's 100 years old, but it's not 200 years old. Well, we were, we just found our neighbors just gave us the deed to the house they had, or they had a copy of it. They gave oh, us really? and it was the transfer of property in 1786 from whoever owned it before the uh, Lumpkins and and exchange the property over. And what was crazy Whoa. is in 1786, it was like 242 acres and premises for uh, 242 pounds. It was British currency in 1786. Oh my God, that's so crazy. But that's I guess they didn't transfer. Yeah, but that was that was after the war, you know, right? Like, so mm-hmm. it was, I guess it took a while to get like US currency. Yeah. Or um, plus you can't just say all your Towns are bad, I guess. I don't know. But also, I mean, the the point of of that is the penny whistle has some really real like connections, right? Like it could be very triggering, depending. Yeah, depending on who was at the house, because they were, you know, hey, enslaved peoples and stuff. Yeah. Death bomb. I keep. I'm finding some that are somehow related to what you guys are talking about december 1881 sir william payne galway a former british mp died after sustaining severe internal injuries when he fell on a turnip while hunting (laughs) i feel like there's a pre-existing condition there like his appendix was like pulsating like of swollenness <laughs> you know like and there was no turnip that was his his, his appendix well there was a turnip there it was a turnip but it was like popping a zit and that turnip popped <laughs> out appendix <laughs> that he already had appendicitis yeah you're That's ruining awful. a fantasy yeah the turnip turnips just... are terrible anyway have you ever had a turnip I mean, yeah, yeah. Turnips. mom cooks them still she likes them. yeah they're all right you put enough oil and salt on it, they're great. Yeah, bake it like a carrot or whatever. Yeah, they're basically like albino carrots. <laughs> yeah. Chop it up, garlic, pepper, salt, oil, butter, lots of butter. All right, Chris. Okay, that was Chris. Uh, you want to, Tim, do you want to do one? Death bomb. Death bomb. 1518, there's something known as the dancing plague. And several people died of either heart attack, stroke, or exhaustion during a dancing mania that occurred in the Strasbourg Alsace, which is the Holy Roman Empire. Nice. So they all caught the dancing <laughs> fever and danced until they died. <laughs> I oh feel my. like that's connected to river dance. I, I've turned seen into. that and heard it before the dancing fever. 
All right, I'm going to do a scary story on uh, black-eyed children. The idea is, like, these kids will, like, knock on your door in the middle of the night at, like, 2 in the morning. And, like, it'll be, like, a 12-year-old, like, Goonies, like, a couple 12-year-olds or, like, an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old and be like, hey, can we use your phone? I, d I just need to use your phone. Can you, we're in trouble. Can we use your phone? And you're like just zombie by like yeah here come in to open the door but when you look at them they have solid black eyes like their pupils iris whites of their eye everything is mm. solid black and then you're like startle awake and then they really as soon as they notice that you notice they like press a little harder to try Oof. to get in and you got to slam the door and just like lock them out and where was this originally uh, so I'll tell you the first story, and which I think gives it credibility being uh, how, how weird it is. And I'm going to read this. I'm, I'm at the site uh, rare.us, but I've heard the story on uh, several different podcasts and um, a, a lot of variations of it, too. But it, the first story, um, it dates back to 1998. And... Uh, well, there, there's other things I'm going to touch into the history of Black Eyed Children, but Brian Bethel is the first person to have this. And he was an early, in 1998, I mean, the internet had been around for a while, yeah. but it was still kind of new. And he was uh, more or less on the blogosphere or whatever. Uh, they didn't have, wasn't really blogs back then. It was like chat rooms and like, I don't know, 22-year-old Enter 23 year old internet technology mm -hmm. I don't know and the story is on 9.30pm January 16th 1998 he left his apartment this is in Texas Abilene Texas mm -hmm. uh, and he went to a Dropbox to pay his internet bill which I think is crazy because back then you got the internet in the mail every day in the shape of a CD from AOL oh, and then... <laughs> so you, I think you can you, like you had to microwave the internet out of those <laughs> yeah, it was like, you couldn't avoid the internet in 1998. If you had a CD-ROM, you're getting some internet. Uh, but anyway, he went to go pay his bill, and on the way he stopped at a dollar movie theater next to the building um, to use the glow of the marquee to write his check. So this is a weird thing anyway. He's writing a check to pay his internet bill, which is <laughs> odd in itself. Yeah, that's and complicated. To put it in the drop box, he's at a movie theater, like a second-run movie theater, white, marquee light, trying to write this check. He's in his car. Uh, and as he did this, he hears a knock on his car window. Knock, knock. And um, he, he looked outside, and he saw two boys, and he thinks they're around between 10 and 14. The first boy was slightly taller than his companion. He was wearing a pullover shirt with a short of sort of gray checkered pattern uh, and he had jeans on he couldn't see his shoes but his skin was kind of olive colored and his hair was curly medium length brown hair uh, and, he, and he kind of had an air of confidence the second boy had pale skin a trace of freckles his primary characteristic seemed to be looking around nervous he was dressed <laughs> similar with like a, a hoodie that was light green and his hair was kind of an orange. So he's a redheaded kid that's nervous and then a confident, uh, taller, uh, brown-headed, curly-haired boy. And they seemed like kind of related, but not really. 
and so he he sensed something was wrong right away mm -hmm. uh and all right away the first boy says hey we want to see mortal Kombat. we don't have any money <laughs> uh and but they weren't asking him for money and that was the scary part to him or weird part was they're like hey will you give us a ride back to our house so we can get a dollar and he said like and here's a here's a quote as i'm reading the story come on mister we just want to go to our house and we're just two little boys and come on mister let us in we can't get in your car until you do you know let us in and we'll be gone before you know it we'll go to our mother's house um and then he found himself like reaching over to hit that unlock button on the door <laughs> it, it was almost like he was being instructed to do it and then as he's doing it, he looks over and he sees the kids and the kids are looking at him, but he noticed their eyes are solid black. No whites, no iris, no pupil. Classic. Yeah, classic. And then <laughs> he's of course like on his face. You can see the WTF look when he looks at him and then the kids get more aggressive immediately and they go, we won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't even have a gun. And then as they're saying that, it was, it was weird to him. Like they kept saying they don't have a gun, like implying that they didn't even need a gun. And so he's, <laughs> he sticks the car in reverse, floors it, peels out, and then, and then tears off. Wow. And then, um, yeah, so <clears throat> from that, there's all kinds of different sightings. And you can go, it's kind of almost creepy pasta stuff, um, mm -hmm. like uh, all the stories. Like you, if you type that in to Google, you'll get a million. I've heard that one before. That's why I wanted to tell it. So that's awesome. Going back a little bit to where they think this is coming from. And the Iroquois Indians or really it was an Iroquois nation, I guess. It was like a collective, I think, of tribes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Iroquois. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not, sure. I'm not a his don't know the historian. And this site keeps talking about the Akan, but Within the Iroquois, there was the Uki, which was good, and the Akkan, which was bad. And the the legend is there would be um, uh, that like evil would sometimes mate with women, or somehow these children would be produced with solid black eyes that would come into the be found wandering alone in the woods and try to and ask to be taken back to the village. And that you would find him in the woods, and they'd have solid black eyes, and they would be weird, and they'd keep saying, "Hey, you gotta imagine the they didn't have flashlights, so you come across a kid with black eyes wandering in the woods, and all you have is like a torch <laughs> and some arrows." Yeah, so, but if this was several hundred years ago, and the kids like, "Come on, I just want to see Mortal Kombat," and they'd be like, what are you saying? What are you I saying? I mean, yeah, we're actually fighting later if you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. oh, That's how you do a time prank. <laughs> time prank. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing when I was researching, I, I was trying to fact check a little bit Iroquois thing because people, there's a lot of terrible clickbait out there on on that. But like, Especially like Native American myth in yeah, general. Yeah. yeah. Like my last uh, thing was like, nope bad site don't go there a couple times yeah and but i did find an interesting story about the three brothers who went to the sun uh oh and i i didn't honestly i didn't read it i did the cliff notes skimming through it but these three brothers 
Native American brothers wanted to go see the sun. And there's like some convoluted story that I read or started to, but I like the summary better. The brothers wanted to go to the sun. They somehow went to the sun and chased like a shooting star or something to the sun. But when they came back, everybody was gone or old that they knew and they were sad and died. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Good story. <laughs> well, but yeah, it like always ties back to like, ufos it does well like everything but also it doesn't because i i think that with especially like with uh or cultures without like a lot of electricity and light and stuff you have nothing but a fire and stars to stare at all night and you see shooting star you're gonna come up with stuff like oh the sky people come down every night like i guarantee every culture from the dawn of man talks about the damn sky people because what all you do is stare at the sky. You got nothing yeah. else. You have no TV other than stars. And if as your civilization develops, you get to jot them down and be like, you know what? Next year, that star is going to be over there. We should have. Well, make sure there, but, I mean, but. a lot of our myth it has this thing that I was interested at one point in my life. It's like vertical awareness and like the advancement of like culture and society, like when you're like hunter and gatherer it's very uh horizontal like it's all the things in front of you the things that can eat you the things you can eat but that there's a kind of moment when you start expanding like human consciousness because like maybe you are not hungry anymore and you're sitting around a campfire that you start thinking vertically like what's underneath you and what's above you and like those are like fertile spaces for our imaginations from ufos to like the story the scare, of jumping the, mouse that hears the distant river. Yeah, or like when I was living in Norway and I had to take care of these chickens and one of the chickens got eaten by a hawk right before I showed up and all the birds, all the chickens were looking up the whole time. Like they had never thought about <laughs> up, up. They're really nervous birds and they had just learned about <laughs> oh up. They were just walking God. around. <laughs> Don't just eat the bugs. Don't just eat but the I bugs. I still feel like even if it was like a thousand years ago, and you're sitting next to fire and your friend's like i'm gonna go to the sun i'd say even a thousand years ago without knowing about the science and stuff i'd be like good luck dumbass that thing's like way high in the air but then the next day i'd probably still like see how high it could jump yeah i'd <laughs> be like thing? nah i can't do it i can't yeah <laughs> pietro aretino october 21st 15 56 an influential italian author and libertine is said to have died of suffocation from laughing too much at an obscene <laughs> joke during a meal in venice <laughs> again like these are not horrible ways to go no, <laughs> just had a right? great italian dinner you're hanging out you're drunk and someone makes a really crude joke and you just laugh yourself to death okay i only have one more death bomb so that's gonna be my last one okay that bomb hans steininger 1567 the burgomaster of Brunel, then bavaria now austria died when he broke his neck by tripping over his own beard his beard was <laughs> what the fuck? his beard was four and a half feet long and he usually kept it tied up in a leather pouch that's a, that's something to reach the like <laughs> go for it I, I feel like we we should come up with some beard pouches that we could <laughs> why people don't use them anymore is beyond me i don't know like they do when they work out there <laughs> all when these they, beards 
if you work in a cafeteria, you got to have a beard pouch. Oh, <laughs> that's true. They're just not as nuts. cool. They're, you cool. need a leather beard pouch. We could. There's a market for that. We can. Make I wonder if OSHA would allow you to have a beard, a leather beard pouch, if you worked in a kitchen with a big, like ZZ Top beard, and not just a cotton like painter's pouch. Yeah, why not? Hey, that'll be the um, the Riddler. What's the Riddler? Can can you use a leather beard pouch and no wait the 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 riddler i think should be a fun hollow like a fun spooky story that is real and happened to you or someone you know could we edit it could we edit it in like we have this air a couple people tell us a scary story and then we add it in like post show yep like i'll even publish the show without it and then if we get something i can go back and put it in and refresh it that would be awesome Okay. Also, while we're on the subject of Riddlers, I just want to acknowledge um, um, Jim uh, Stepherson from Nashville, who did correctly write in that number eight. Uh, so if you remember from our last Riddler uh, for the Stargate remote viewing episode, we held up a number and asked people to try to remote back in time to uh, Nate's address and pick a number. We blurred out the number. We we bleeped it out. It was correctly guessed, um, and so uh, that was this that was this month's uh, Riddler winner. Can we, we got, send uh, a prize? We, sent, we did. We sent a lot of prizes. I'm sure he was very happy. Some uh, paranormal insurance and abatement. There, were, there was a few people that tried. They didn't get the number, but um, there Jeff was got one it. of which was. Uh, Mary Tremonte. <laughs> <laughs> she told me right after she sent it. She's like, is that right? I was like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So uh Riddler. so congratulations, Jeb. You're one of uh our dozens of people who tried to win. And I hope you enjoy your package. Your so, um we also, made yeah. the number easy too. <laughs> we're not one of those double digits <laughs> yeah we can't handle them i didn't want to you would have to like write down both digits yeah, <laughs> and focus too on. hard so here's here's a forever riddler yeah what like chris said what's your ghost story your paranormal story your spooky story what happened to you email keep it, it brief, brief. Use brevi- brevity is is helpful in this situation keep it under uh three minutes max <laughs> but if you send us the audio file too sometimes we'll get uh, we can deal with whatever right yes send us an audio file a text we we can read it if you don't want to but we do love live spooky stories and we will edit post it in after the fact if we do get one that cuts mustard or whatever the expression is (laughs) is that the expression it passes muster or whatever uh to coin a phrase to coin a phrase if it spreads mustard mustard. (laughs) If it spreads mustard, then we'll then we'll uh, edit it in in backwards if of it's time. Spicy brown, we'll <laughs> smear it on. Uh, email it to wizard at dorfu.com. D o r f y o u dot com. Uh, tweet it at AAO podcast. Text us if you have our phone numbers. Um, I just remember the the most scared I've ever been in my life. I was. So I don't, I don't, I haven't thought about this since then. I was seven years old. I was going to go sleep in a tent in the backyard of the Weaver house. It was like oh, 10 o'clock at night. It was like the last, like, here it goes, here it goes. 
and Nate had just been randomly hiding behind the house. And I walk out and he was like, huh. And I swear to God, like, I fucking died. <laughs> I don't I remember sh- doing that. I know. You just like, you're like, ha ha. And then he ran in. I was like, like hyperventilating. I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what it was. I was seven. My stomach hurt. I think the whole night, like my lungs and my chest hurt. Like it was like the worst. <laughs> the worst. Just think of where you'd so... be in life. You'd be like a surgeon right now. I was so mad. Or something. If like I got, a, my heart rate was probably Nate. like 250 or something. Uh, which is a, probably an excellent throwback to Tim's story about atypical balloon syndrome from the beginning of the episode. And with that well-placed throwback, we should probably wrap up this episode of Halloween 2021. If you think you need some ideas about Halloween costumes, then please go back through the Against All Oddities archives and find our episodes that's entirely dedicated to costumes. You can thank us later. This is Against All Oddities.